And so what we're seeing, brothers and sisters, is that there is a banner. There is a standard. And we have to bear the standard. Father always has a remnant even in the midst of the most wicked times in history. Maybe one. It may be a handful. The Bible tells us that the way is narrow and few be there finding. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. According to 2 Peter, Lot was a righteous man living in the midst of wickedness. Lot had gone from living outside of Sodom to living in Sodom and serving in some council capacity by sitting at the gates of the city. When the two angels arrived at the gate of Sodom, Lot urged them to come to his home instead of sleeping in the streets. The men of Sodom did not know the men were angels, for the angels appeared to be mortal men. The Sodomites had evil sexual motives and pressed upon Lot with the intent to break down Lot's door to get at the angels. The angels smote the men of Sodom with blindness. Listen, as Jehovah remembered his negotiations with Abraham and preserved Lot before everything in the cities were decimated. Today's study title is Righteousness, Wickedness, and Judgment. So, let's study. brothers and sisters, again, we are in Genesis chapter 19. We're talking about righteousness, wickedness, and judgment. And I titled this message, Righteousness, Wickedness, and Judgment, because Peter tells us some things that we're going to learn about Lot. We know that Abraham was a righteous man and that Lot seemingly grew up in the company and presence of Abraham. And so there are things that Lot learned that we're going to see even in this passage that would suggest to us that Lot paid close attention to the things that Abraham did. And even in some cases, he mimicked those. Now, in the previous chapter, Abraham negotiated with Jehovah concerning the destruction of the city and the righteous therein. I mentioned last week that we know there were less than 10 righteous people living in Sodom and Gomorrah, or Jehovah would not have destroyed them based on his word to Abraham. But we're going to find that it seemed like there was only one. <laughs> in Genesis 18:20, it says, Then Jehovah said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous. And in verse 32, then he said, may Jehovah not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if there only 10 can be found there? And so we see that Abram negotiated with Jehovah all the way down to 10 righteous. And when we get to the end, we're going to see that it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was other cities in the plains that was destroyed indicating that in all of that, Sodom, Gomorrah, and those cities, there were not 10 righteous people found. I was meditating today on this passage, and I was thinking, you know, it kind of reminded me of the time of Noah. 
During the time of Noah, only one righteous man in all of the people that were on the earth. And I'll tell you, you know, when Yeshua says, except those days be shortened, no flesh shall be saved. What, what's going on, brothers and sisters, is we're heading to a point to where wickedness is increasing in the earth. And the thing that is troubling to me is every last one of us, based on the words of Yeshua, are going to be challenged to walk upright in the earth as we know it, as wickedness increases all around us and affect us. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that because iniquity abound, the love of many wax cold. And again, it is deeply troubling to me because it appears that we're going to be so influenced and affected by our surroundings that it's going to take everything in us to stand upright in resistance to all of the wickedness that is encroaching upon our space. I almost named this message tonight, Living Righteous in the Mist of Unrighteousness. And so Abraham negotiates with Jehovah and Jehovah responded in the previous chapter. He says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. In the end of this chapter next week, we're going to see that because of the destruction that took place, Lot's daughters assumed that all of the world had been destroyed, that they were the only people left on earth. We know that was the case with Noah and his family. According to 2 Peter, Lot was a righteous or just man living in the midst of wickedness. 2 Peter 2.7 in the New American Standard Version says, And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, in the King James, it says, and he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And we're going to find that Lot and the circumstances with Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be used in the New Testament as a warning and an example for not only the people then, but for us today. Verse 1. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And so we see that when Lot saw those men, he did the same thing Abraham did when he saw the men and then Jehovah standing next to them. And so the term three men there is the word enosh. The Hebrew Enosh. Now, my Hebrew kind of changed to Israeli Hebrew. I guess that happened in the transfer, but nevertheless, the word Enosh is for men, and the word Melak is for messenger or angel. And so these three men show up in Sodom. Now, in chapter 18, when these men show up, they're not considered angels or they're not referred to as angels, they are referred to as men. Three men left Abraham, 
but only two messengers or angels show up in Sodom. And this has left some to say, okay, well, one of the three men was the angel of Jehovah or Jehovah himself. But we noted last week and the week before that the three men stood beside Jehovah. There were three men and Jehovah stood beside them. And now we see that there are two angels that show up and Lot had gone from living outside of Sodom to living in Sodom to apparently serving in some council capacity by sitting at the gates of the city. So what we see is a slow migration. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. In verse 12, chapter 13, says, Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then Moses lets us know, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before Jehovah exceedingly. By the time we get to chapter 14, and they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. So now he's moved from the plain to where he's living in Sodom. And then here in verse 2, chapter 19, it says, and he said, behold, now notice in verse 1, says Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Setting at the gate of Sodom or the gate of a city is generally where the elders, the councils, decision makers sit. So now Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom, indicating that he's living in the city and somehow he's on some kind of council because of the location of where he is. And when those men approached Lot said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. So Lot was given to hospitality. And tarry all night and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go on your ways. Well, see, they weren't coming to go on their way. They were coming to assess the wickedness of the city. And they said, Nay, we will abide in the street all night. And so Lot pressed them greatly, and so he said some things that is not recorded here, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house. So he persuaded them, even though they had planned to stay in the streets. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. Now, it's unleavened. You know, one could say, was he trying to celebrate un unleavened bread? I don't think. It was unleavened because it was in a hurry, didn't have time to rise. And so night visitors came with wicked intent. The men of Sodom did not know the men, and that should be, were angels. So when these men showed up, they saw men. They didn't see angels. They saw men. They didn't know they were angels. And the angels there appear to be mortal men, which is one of the definitions of the word Enosh, which is the Hebrew word for men. Verse 4, but before they lay down, the men, Enosh, of the city, even the men, Enosh of Sodom, 
compassed the house round about, and notice, both old and young. And then it says, all the people from every quarter. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I did some Googling and looking up, you know, is there any city? Because according to this, the men of Sodom, this city, all the men, young and old, seem to have homosexual tendencies based on this verse. So the men of Sodom compass the house round both old and men. And notice it says all the people from every quarter. Now, it could mean that all the men who like men from every quarter, because I suspect that females lived in Sodom, and who knows, they could have been women liking women. It doesn't tell us, but here's what we do know based on what is written. Verse 5, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men in us which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And that word know is the same word that is used where the Bible says, and Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they had children. So this is a sexual connotation. They're saying, bring these men out. And some versions actually say, bring these men out that we may have sex with them. In fact, the New American Standard Bible says, and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. So the intent was clear. Now, when I was Googling, it's like, okay, is there a city where all the people, all the men are gay? This seems to be a period in time in history where perversion was higher than it is today. And you would think, man, as high as perversion is today, could there ever have been a time in history when it was worse than it is now? It's hard to believe. And the thing is, is that it's going to get even worse. When our previous president opened the floodgates by declaring same-sex marriage and writing it into law, I'm going to tell you something. It just released the spirit, not just here in the Americas, but in other countries, because America sets an example for other countries And sometimes other countries set examples for America, but America is one of the most influential countries in the world. And there is a dilemma that is occurring right now, brothers and sisters, that for me is somewhat frightening because with this whole push in the, again, the Democrats are at it again. They're they're trying to push for the legalization of marijuana. It's almost as if all of the young people and many old people are out there talking on marijuana. Marijuana is a problem among many. Now, the sad thing about it is many people don't see an issue with it because it's a plant and it is supposed to be, you know, supposedly good. And there are aspects of it that individuals now are boasting that help certain issues, illnesses among people. And again, here it is, people are looking to the plant made by the creator 
than looking to the creator. Here's where people look to the things that men make under the impression that father has given them the ability and the wisdom to do these things. Whereas men are looking to men for their healing. Men are looking to science. Men are looking to medicine. Men are looking to other men who supposedly have the wisdom of the almighty to do the things that they're doing instead of looking to the almighty. And though he made the plant, there's no issue. There's no problem in that. There are many who are not using the plant for medicinal purposes, but for the sake of getting high. And the effects that it has on the brain, the way it is causing people to be mellow and to be relaxed, ultimately to be lazy, because they don't want to do anything but relax and feel good and chill. So young people don't want to go work no more. They want to chill. They want to hang out. They want to get high. It is an addiction, regardless of what anybody say. But I digress. Getting back to the lesson, that was just something that has been in me that I needed to get, get out of me because there are parents out there who are saying, well, you know, it's legal. I'd rather my child do this than some of the alternatives. But let me tell you something. The moment they start doing this, the alternatives become open. There's a reason why they call it a gateway. And regardless to what people think or say, there are still laws that say that if you are allowing these things for minors, you're contributing. There are legal ramifications for these types of circumstances and situations. And so, verse 6, And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after them. Now, notice here, they called out, Lot goes out. He shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. In other words, he's trying to appeal to wicked men. Now, notice, the strategy of Lot was to offer his daughters who had not known men. But gay men generally reject relations with women. If anybody know of gay men, and some of you all know, they turn to men because they have rejected women. But notice this next verse. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. In other words, he's saying, I got two daughters who have never been with a man. I've got two daughters who have never had sex. He offers them. Now, I suspect that Lot is operating in a strategy because, after all, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Lot lived in Sodom. Lot served in Sodom. Lot had to know. He says, I pray you, bring them out unto us. Now, behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And you do to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. I have to stop and ponder that Lot is going to give his daughters to these men, but I suspect Lot knew the wickedness of Sodom. 
by offering his daughters, knowing the men like men, he was saying have normal male-female relationship, therefore judging their behavior as ungodly. In other words, here's my daughters knowing they were going to reject them. Why? Because they like men. I could not imagine any man giving his daughters to a mob. And so by offering his daughters, knowing they were going to reject them, it was a, a judgment call. <laughs> they responded to his action as being judgmental, thereby condemning, and therefore proceeded to turn on Lot to do him harm. This is what it says in verse 9. And they said, stand back, and they said again, this one fellow came in to sojourn. So now they're bringing up Lot's track record. The guy came to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. His actions was judgment. You're presenting women to men who should like women instead of men. They reject the women for men, and they accuse Lot of judging them. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed so upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. It goes to what Proverbs say, rebuke a fool, and they will turn on you. Let me tell you something. Homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexual, any type of inordinate sexual relationship is an indication of some kind of mental disease. There is something broken in the thinking of men and women to try to make something fruitful out of something that cannot produce. It's immoral at its core, and there's nothing good in it. And now these politicians are trying to appease all of this ungodly behavior for the sake of a vote to be able to make laws for men and make more laws that protect and advance the rights of LGBT and other types of sickness. And you got people who claim to love the almighty going to some poll to vote, to put these wicked people in office so that they can govern them. Who in their right mind put sick, people in governmental positions to advance the agenda of sick people. <clears throat> and so now they come near to tear the door down. We don't want your daughters. We want the men. Send them out to us. The men of Sodom were offended and angered to wrath because they felt judged. In this verse, the angels are referred to as mortal men. Now I want to go back. And he says, listen, we're going to deal worse with thee than with them. In other words, they came to Lot's house for the men. Were they intending to rape Lot? <laughs> Kill him? Destroy him? See, let me tell you something. When you confront that lesbian, homosexual, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer spirit, they will turn on you. There is a wickedness that is so wicked to where if you confront it, address it, call it out, they'll be really ready to take you out. 
That's how immoral, ungodly, and wicked the mind has been twisted to. In verse 10, but the men, now they were called angels. These two angels show up. Now they're being referred to as men, put forth their hand, pulled Lot into the house to them, and then shut the door. And then the, the men's, the angels smote the men of Sodom with blindness. Verse 11. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. This was confusion, just like in the time of Babel. The language was confused. Now the people are confused. And get this. They blind, right? But they still trying to get in there to get locked. Straight up blind. Notice what it says. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Man, I'm telling you, they so warped. They trying to find the door with, how you go grab somebody you can't see? They don't care. We go grab somebody. Somebody, some, let's, that just shows you how, how broke their mind are. The angels ask Lot and instruct Lot to gather his son-in-law, his sons and daughters. Now, notice this next few slides. And the men said unto Lot, now, before I go here, think about the knowledge of these individuals before they came. They came to assess. They came to destroy. They came to deal with the issues that were going on. The men said unto Lot, and he asked a question. The men, has there any besides? Now, one could say, he's saying, do you have any other people here? Has there any besides? But one could also say, is there anybody other than your son-in-law, your sons and your daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? So he could be saying, your sons, your daughters, your son-in-laws, your grandchildren. But see, this is how we can read into, because what I want to point out here is how easy it is, and this is a perfect passage to do it, of how people can read in, assume, and come to a conclusion based on information that is not presented. This is how we get led by sermons. How many son-in-laws did Lot have? I'm asking the questions. You think about it. He had none as far as you're concerned. How many sons did Lot have? He had none. How many daughters did Lot have? At least two. This is what we know. Or this is the conclusion we've drawn. But look at what is written. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of Jehovah. And Jehovah has sent us to destroy it. In the men of Sodom's state of blindness, Lot went to fetch his sons-in-law. <laughs> now, wait a minute. He didn't have any son-in-laws. So who is he going to fetch? He's going to fetch son-in-laws. But they thought Lot was joking. Now, it's clear 
that Lot had son-in-laws. But y'all just said he didn't have any. And how did you come to that conclusion? <laughs> no. No. Sermons. No, it's sons. Plural. In-law. Not son-in-laws, but sons-in-law. But they, not singular, thought Lot was joking, did not listen, and perished with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at what it says in verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters. Now, wait a minute. What daughters? (laughs) What daughters? See, here's what the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us how many children Lot has, does it? We know it's two, and so conclude it's only two. It doesn't tell us whether he had sons and daughters. It tells us that he had two daughters who were still with him, seemingly living with him, who had not known a man, but that doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us that was the only two daughters Lot had, does it? So people assume, people read into And people come to conclusions even when the evidence to the contrary is right here in black and white. So Lot went out. There would be no need for Lot to go out if the two daughters he's about to present is in the house. Why would he have to go out? So he goes out. Spoken to his sons, sons in law, we don't know how many daughters Lot had, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for Jehovah will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in laws. In other words, they thought Lot was joking. We don't know if Lot had sons in law, had uh, grandchildren. We don't know if Lot has sons, but notice what the angel says. The angel says to Lot, has there any here besides, in other words, do you have folks besides your son-in-laws and your sons and your daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. So if Lot had sons, who married daughters, somebody's daughters. If he had daughters, obviously, who had married men, now Lot is given the opportunity to go and gather his family, his extended family, and bring them out with him. But not only, well, let's keep moving. They thought he was joking. And so he seemed as one who mocked. Were these the husbands of the daughters of Lot, but had not slept with a man, indicating their husbands had not laid with them to consummate the marriage? I don't think so. Could be, but I don't think so. Because the fact that Lot is going out, typically if you look at the living arrangements when individuals get married, they move out of the main house, but those who are not married still remain in the parent's house. That's what is typical going forward. That's just the way family is done and has been done. But 
Or were these the husbands of Lot's additional daughters? We can't say Lot had other daughters. Why? Because the scripture doesn't tell us. But the scripture tells us Lot went to look for his son-in-laws. And he couldn't have son-in-laws unless they were married to his daughters. But the daughters in Lot's house has never known a man. And how can you not know a man and be married? It just doesn't jail. Verse 15. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here. (laughs) Since the other ones didn't come. Now, if nothing else, the son-in-laws remain. But he says, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So what is the angel saying? Listen, your son-in-laws, they may have thought you were joking. And if the son-in-laws are joking, they're certainly, if there are additional daughters that they're married to, they're not going to go home to those wives, your daughters, and say, hey, your pop came and he told us that destruction is coming on the city. Let's get up out of here. But it also goes to show us that even though Lot may have been considered righteous, that Lot may not necessarily have taught his children the way Abraham taught his household. Here's what I know, that righteousness can skip generations. Abraham is teaching his children. Lot, when he was a part of Abraham, Lot was taught like all of Abraham's household. When Lot separated from Abraham, pitched his tent towards Sodom, the influence of the world in which Lot lived in. But also Lot now is at a point to where he's about to do something Abraham would never have done. Presented his unmarried daughters or daughters who have not known a man to the wicked people. The thing about Abraham and Lot is Abraham kept his people separated from the people around them. Lot moved in the midst of them. When Abraham was told about Lot being taken captive, Abraham armed his men and went and fought. When these men come to Lot's house, Lot now offers his daughters to keep the men from taking the guests from his house. Lot seemingly allowed his daughters to marry men of the city And one has to ask oneself, how did Lot get in such a predicament? I wonder now that once he got captured and released, that he may have lost property. He may have lost animals. He didn't return to the statue he was in when he decided to choose where he would go and separate himself from Abraham. So now here he is living in the city which indicates that if he's living in the city, then maybe he's possibly lost some of his wealth. But now he's allowing his daughter to marry these wicked men. The Bible tells us Sodom was wicked. And now here it is that when Lot comes to talk to his son-in-laws, they say, man, what's wrong with you? They didn't have the respect, nor did they believe or were convicted by what Lot has to say which indicates that they didn't have that kind of respect for Lot as Abraham's servants 
and household had for him. When a man falls from his place of righteousness to the degree to where he's holding things in place, there is a level of respect that he loses and is evident here in this particular situation. So now the effect of this, because hopefully what I'm saying to you will help you put these next few verses in perspective. Lot was reluctant to leave. Why would Lot be reluctant to leave? The Bible says Lot lingered. He waited. He delayed. He tarried to where the men now have to take Lot by the hand, have to take his wife by the hand, have to take his two daughters by the hand who had not known a man and take them out of the city. Notice what it says in verse 16. And while he lingered, why is he lingering? You've been warned of the destruction. Why are you lingering? Why are you waiting? Is it possible that he's waiting for his family? Waiting for his sons-in-law, maybe waiting for daughters, maybe waiting. I don't know why. But one thing we know, he waited. And while he lingered, the men, the angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, and Jehovah being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. It's almost as if they got to take him out. You can get so attached to this world, so attached to the things of this world, to where you got to be taken out. And you wonder why his wife looked back. But we'll get to that. So now they got to take him by the hand, take his wife by the hand, take his daughters by the hand, and take them out the city. But get this. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for your life. Get out of here. Look not behind you. Neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Get this, Lot negotiated with the men, the angels, and chose an alternative to their instructions, which could be viewed as saving the people of Zoar, but it could also be viewed as just causing the issues that he's going to face later to be delayed. Notice, and Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Now, he's telling them, get out of here and get into the mountains. He says, oh, no, not so. Behold, now thy servant has found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shown unto me in saving my life. I'm grateful you've saved my life. I'm grateful that you've shown mercy toward me. But I can't escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Say, what? Now the angels are going to deliver you only to send you into destruction. Or Lot may be negotiating for the lives of Zoar. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. It is not a little one. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. The men angels accepted Lot's proposal, and Zoar and his people were spared. We can see that. 
Verse 21, And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Lot negotiated a deal, and again, in one sense, Zoar, which was going to be consumed, overthrown, along with the other cities in the plain, Lot now seemingly has spared the life of the people of Zoar. He says, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou be come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Now, all of this happened between sundown the previous evening and sunset the following day. So the sun went down, the men came into the city, the sun went down when it was night, the men of the city came to demand the men. There's all this taking place. The men are blind. They're groping around trying to find the door. Lot is being warned. He goes out at night to find his son-in-laws. They are mocking him or thinking he's mocking, and whoever else he's looking for that is part of his family or, or whatever, which nobody follows Lot. Lot warns people, but nobody follows Lot. Verse 23, the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Judgment by brimstone and fire from heaven. Now, I've said to people, where is hell? People have this idea that hell is somewhere in the core of the earth or is somewhere where they can't locate it. Let me put it that way. And I've made the statement that if Father made everything, then hell is somewhere in his kingdom. If he's the king of the universe, if he's the king of creation, If everything he made is part of his kingdom, if he made hell, hell is somewhere in the kingdom. It can't be outside the kingdom because everything is in his kingdom. But what's interesting here is that people talk about the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. But here, this fire and brimstone is coming from heaven. It certainly gives a different perspective that it's possible that the lake of fire is not on earth or under the earth or on some planet away from the earth (laughs) for your consideration. Verse 24, then Jehovah reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord, out of heaven. So where did this fire and brimstone come from? It didn't come up, it came down. That's a reality. People want to talk about the rapture like everything up there is in heaven. And you know what? Folks are going to be, the dead in Messiah is going to rise or the dead in Christ. There's going to be a rapture, y'all. There's a rapture, but let me tell you something. Everybody's going up, 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 but remember this fire and this brimstone is coming down, 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 which means that some people are going up is going to where the fire and brimstone is. Just a thought to ponder. I've said to people, everybody is going to be resurrected. Everybody is going to get up. 
Everybody is going to be raptured, not just the church. Everybody is going to go up to heaven. Everybody is not going to stay in the heaven part of heaven where there is streets paved with gold. Some people are going to be in the part of heaven where there's fire and brimstone. Where did the fine brimstone come from, y'all? Talk to me. Out of heaven. So if it came out from heaven, where do you think it resides? Somewhere in heaven. Could it be that hell is in heaven? Because we know some wicked people have, you know, folks talk about Uncle Junebug and cousin such and such. They all looking down on us. Mm Mm-hmm. Question is, is where they looking down from. I don't mean to be the one to bust the bubble, but I can't ignore what is written. Fire and brimstone from Jehovah out of heaven. He, rain don't generally go up. The Bible says Jehovah rained. This fire and brimstone came from heaven. Can I beat this horse some more? This fire and brimstone came from heaven. Now, I know this is going to mess with some folks, just like the possibility that Lot may have had more than two daughters. But see, when we read our Bible verse by verse, go through our Bible verse by verse, it has a tendency to confront the ignorance that we've operated in and possibly perpetuated among others, and hopefully it will cause us to make some adjustments to our understanding that is more in line with what is written, not the stuff we have heard. And so Jehovah reigned upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from Jehovah out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. In other words, he scorched the earth. There was nothing left. There was not a cow, a sheep, a ant, a worm, a cricket, a blade of grass. Scorched. Everything Lot and his family had worked for all those years were about to be destroyed. Their life was about to change forever as they are not being forced by hand as they are now, not not, but now being forced by hand. That's sad that they have to force them out. Everything they knew, they had to leave their home, they had to leave their property, they had to leave their possessions, and possibly family members, certainly sons-in-law. Lot's wife looks back, and it was her last act. Because I'm going to tell you, this is what I see here. It's not written in the narrative, but what I see here. If nothing else, we know that Lot had some son-in-laws that refused to come out. Mom, Lot's wife, 
and their mother-in-law who possibly gave birth to daughters whom they married and father only know how many other children she brought forth in the earth because the Bible doesn't tell us, but gives us the impression there's a possibility there was more. Sometimes the emotional connection to women get in the way of their relationship with the Almighty, even to their own destruction. They were warned not to look back. The angels took them out safely, sent them on their way after the negotiation to go into Zoar. Don't look back. Go. Go now. But his wife looked back from behind him. In other words, she was behind him. Lot is focused on going forth. She's behind him. I suspect that if she was in front of him, Lot would have told her, no, don't look back. But even then, she probably, I mean, you know, when a wife don't listen to her husband, obviously the son-in-laws didn't listen to the husband, to their father-in-law. We know that Lot talked to them. We don't know who else Lot talked to, but the angel says sons, son-in-laws, daughters, and whoever else you have, she became a pillar of salt. Luke uses Lot's wife's actions as an example when he wrote concerning the second coming of Yeshua. Luke 17, 30, Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember. Lot's wife. Lot's wife serves as an example even to us in this present time. Because I'll tell you, it's very difficult to leave things that you've worked for and you are now connected to. Verse 27, and Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before Jehovah, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. Jehovah remembered Abraham and preserved Lot in the overthrow. From the outcome, it appeared that only one righteous man was living among Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. And Jehovah tried to save his family along with him. Verse 29. And it came to pass when Elohim destroyed the cities of the plain, that Elohim remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. Now, I want you to see something, because Abraham never negotiated for Lot. He negotiated for 10 righteous, and he stopped. Now, here's the point. There wasn't 10. There wasn't 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, but there was one. Now, Peter and Jude and others are going to use Lot as an example that just as Father knew how to deliver one righteous man out of midst of destruction, he knew how to preserve them who call on his name today and the coming destruction. Abraham negotiated for 10, but Father had every intent of delivering the one. The righteous will never be forsaken. His seed will never have to beg for bread. The circumstance with Lot's son-in-laws is that they refused to listen to their father-in-law. They could not imagine that the thing that he was saying could be possible. Just like today, people try to mock 
our faith, they cannot imagine that a loving, kind, benevolent, merciful, gracious God can destroy his creation. And if he does, who want to serve that kind of God? You see, I leave you with these passages to ponder. In the Old and New Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah are used as examples of wickedness that provoke the wrath of Jehovah. Isaiah 3, 9, Jeremiah 23, 14, Lamentations 4, 6, Zephaniah 2, 8 through 9, 2 Peter 2, 6, Jude 7. These are examples where Sodom and Gomorrah are brought up And there are others, but these specifically, I encourage you to read Jeremiah 23. Jerusalem, Judah are compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. The prophets who prophesied, prophesied, telling people nothing bad is going to happen when doom and gloom is upon them. So I leave you these passages to ponder. And this brings to conclusion this teaching. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.